Dateline UK, the coronation of Charles III and his wife Camilla as king and queen of the United Kingdom and the other Commonwealth realms is under the microscope. New evidence recently uncovered questions the legitimacy of this coronation. Research experts and monarchists, Professor Gloria Moss from Truth University and Justin Walker from the Hardwick Alliance, join me for the big reveal. Right here, right now, on VT Radio. Let's go. With host Johnny Punish. Okay, we're back on VT Radio and we're asking the question, why the Queen's oath was not placed on public display following her coronation in 1953? And why was Charles' signed oath not published following the ceremony on September 10th 2022. These are big questions. And tonight we have uh, Professor Gloria Moss. Uh, she's a new VT writer from uh, the UK and Justin Walker from the Hardwick, Hardwick Alliance. And uh, th- they want to talk about these issues. Uh, and so go. I want to welcome Gloria and Justin. Uh, Gloria and Justin, how are you doing today? I'm fine and dandy. It's great to be on the show, Johnny. It's a pleasure, Gloria. You you're a VT writer, uh, brand new on our on our site, vtforeignpolicy.com. Gloria, start we'll start with you. Tell us why you're here. What are the issues that we're talking about here? Well, we're we're a little over three weeks away from a new coronation in in Great Britain, the coronation of King, King Charles III, and of course in Britain, we are proud of the fact that we have a constitutional monarchy. That's a, a, a monarchy that is a check, in theory anyway, a check and balance on the system. So it, it's of extraordinary importance, the coronation of a, of a new monarch. And uh, I'm, uh, I've done some research for an organization in Great Britain called the Hardwick Alliance for Real Ecology, and they asked me to undertake some research looking at the coronation oath, not just of King Charles III, whose coronation is on 6th of May, but also of his predecessor, of course, Queen Elizabeth II. And what what I uncovered in the course of doing this research at the behest of the Hardwick Alliance was nothing short of extraordinary. So I'm here. Wow. Now, Justin, you're you're with the Hardwick Alliance, so tell us more about the Hardwick Alliance. The Hardwick Alliance, um, yes, we started the Hardwick Alliance for Real Ecology. Myself and Sir Julian Rose started the organization uh, coming up to three and a half years ago. The reason we established it, because we know that the genuine ecology movement, the green movement, has been hijacked by the globalists. They've been hijacked by the World Economic Forum with their Great Reset, their fake Green New Deal. And what we're trying to do is get the real green agenda back on course and away from the globalists, away from the central bankers, uh, away from the megalomaniacs who meet at Davos every year. Now, what one of the our biggest concerns, we are a common law country, like yourselves in America. We are a common law country, and our king or queen is the first sovereign amongst equals. Now, as sovereigns, we are very worried that our new king is signed up to the World Economic Forum and indeed actually launched the Great Reset. And what we are discovering 
is that our country, as in America, has been corporatized. Now, in Britain, we have the city of London, and that's not London as a whole. This is the city of London, the square mile where all the big finance occurs and the banks and everything else. And they have effectively taken over our political governing class. They literally run the country. And the crown, which we believe to be our monarch, is actually now the city of London. So we've been corporatized as a nation, and we've now got to take it back. And we've now got very real problems with our new monarch. We had problems with the old monarch, Queen Elizabeth. She was much loved, and certainly 70 years she reigned. But during that time, she actually handed over a lot of our powers initially to the European Union, but of course, we've got out of that. But nonetheless, she unfortunately, she has an absolute right to stop legislation going through Parliament, which damages the sovereignty of our nation. And she didn't. And the new king is absolutely dedicated to the fake green agenda and to the global, well, the, the, the great reset uh, and what the globalists have got planned for us. And you've only got to look at modern day China to see a technocracy in action. And that is what's coming to our country. And in fact, to your country as well, in America, Mexico, everywhere. Everywhere you look, we've got a technocracy being rolled out where technology is going to be running the show. Artificial intelligence, you know, central bank, digital currencies, social credit scheme, all this stuff is coming and we've got to fight it. And the first thing we've got to do is ensure that our monarch is serving us, the sovereign people, and not these megalomaniacs in Davos. Now, Gloria, to be clear, you're a monarchist, is that correct? I'm a monarchist. I'm all in favour of a constitutional monarchy. Uh, as, Jude, as Justin said just now, uh, a system in which the sovereign is the first amongst equals. We're all sovereign beings. Um, and so the issue of the coronation oath is a very important one. The oath is the central event of the coronation. And it's the only part of the coronation that actually has a legal function. And it has a very important legal function, namely that the sovereign signs an oath uh, which sets down the monarch's obligations to the people. And so that this is why it's such an important document. And as recently as February this year, a report was put out by the House of Commons Library, House of Commons being the, the place where Parliament meets. And it was just in February this year that they put out a document by somebody called Torrance, in which he said that the, the coronation has far more than merely ceremonial value, because right in the middle of it is the signing of the oath, which is a legal action. And this is why I, I was asked to undertake the research, looking at the origins of the coronation oath, going back into the mists of time, what did it look like? And what was Queen Elizabeth's oath like? And you know, what should we expect if we're going to uh, take a leaf out from history, what should we expect in a new coronation oath on the 6th of May? So I can fill you in with some of this history if you'd like. And it's, um, it's beyond fascinating. 
I would I would say. It's not dry and dusty at all. Absolutely. Now, now so we have the like two me? documents from Queen. I was going to say we have the two documents from Queen Elizabeth that she did sign the oath. Is that correct? Yes. Am and I getting let that me right? just say a few words before you show those, Johnny, if I could. But okay. When I look back at the mists of time to see the, the, the form that the coronation oath took, it 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 it's it, the first official version of a coronation oath. It is from the um, time of King Edward II, which was back in 1309. And mm -hmm. in his document, which remained the template for coronations for almost the next 400 years, right up until 1688. So that's a big sweep of history. What he did was he swore to observe the laws and customs of Great Britain. And that's a very interesting phrase. Laws, I think, speaks for itself. But customs brings in the, the element that Justin referred to earlier, which is the common law. And the common law is um, enshrined in Magna Carta, for example, which was the mm -hmm. document that um, the barons encouraged King John to sign. And there are two extremely important articles in Magna Carta, there's Article 39, um, which gives everybody in Britain the right to a trial by their peers. That's a jury trial. Um, that's Article 39, as I said. And the other very important article is Article 61. Uh, maybe Justin would like to say something about Article 61. Was actually well, article invoked 61. in 2001 by 25 barons who were not very happy when the Queen, Justin's already alluded to this, signed um, a lot of Britain's powers away to the European Union. Justin, do you want to say something about Article 61? Well, before, yes, Article we 61, yeah, Article 61 was triggered in 2001 by 25 barons, and of course it's never been satisfactorily concluded. Technically speaking, it's still live. Now, some people might argue that was done during the reign of Queen Elizabeth II, so you may need to, if you want to go back to Article 61, you may have to trigger it again. Uh, that's a possibility. But it is a very powerful tool because what it means is that you can seize the monarch's castles and you can distress uh, until the monarch comes back into line. Uh, and, of course, with the monarch, we are really talking about Parliament as well, because what's going on is that both the monarch and Parliament have been hijacked by the globalists. Um, we've got a big task ahead of us. Uh, that's not, you know, we, we, we've really got a lot of work to do. But after the coronation, we don't even know what the coronation oath the king is going to be saying. They're not letting us see it. Uh, myself and a gentleman called William Keat from the commonlawconstitution.org, and I would recommend your viewers and listeners to look at this site, commonlawconstitution.org, um, which really shows how important the common law is and how it should be used. Um, and we if wrote I just pick up the, on that thing of uh, common law. Yeah. Sorry, go on, Gloria, yes. Sorry, Gloria, you want to say something? Sorry. Um, no? I beg I was Sorry. just going to quote um, a contemporary of King Edward II, who 
as I said, included in his coronation, um, 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 the words, laws and customs. And he swore to abide by and uphold the laws and customs of Great Britain. And according to a leading jurist of that time, who uh, was one Henry de Bracton, I'm just going to read two sentences from the pen of Henry de Bracton. And this is dynamite. This isn't dry and dusty stuff. What he said was that the English hold many things by custom, which they do not hold by law. And what they hold by custom has every bit as much force as what they hold by law. And to some extent, that's been neglected, overlooked. It shouldn't be. It's every bit as important, if not more important, than law. And then he went on to say that kings need only to have allowed the custom for it to be granted and to become part of the fabric of the country. So there was Edward II including the words, laws and customs in his oath. And so too did Queen Elizabeth II. She swore to abide by the laws and customs of this country, which is Britain. Now, we're very much hoping um, that these words, this phrase, laws and customs, um, and the undertaking to abide by those appears also in the oath of King Charles III. But try as we might, we haven't had no. sight of it we, yet. We, we, we've written a letter, myself and William Keat wrote a letter to the Earl Marshal, who is the Duke of Norfolk, and he is responsible for uh, large uh, royal ceremonies. I mean, he was responsible for the Queen's funeral, and he's also responsible for organising the coronation. And we wrote to him six weeks ago, asking for who is going you know, we want to see sight of the coronation oath because it's the first you know he is the first sovereign amongst equals so as equals we should see what the oath is going to be before he actually says it in westminster abbey but we also said because of his involvement with the world economic forum and the great reset having launched the great reset which means digital tyranny. I mean, you know, we're talking, as I said before, a technocracy coming our way, which will take away all our common law rights and privileges and customs. So we say, quite simply, there should be a royal retraction. He cannot be king unless there is a royal retraction of his support for the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. If we don't get such a retraction, then we are setting ourselves up or what we term a new Runnymede, that is a new confrontation between the people, the sovereigns, and allegedly their first sovereign who is not serving them. So there's going to be a real major constitutional crisis unless the king renounces his involvement with the World Economic Forum, the fake Green New Deal, the Great Reset, and what the globalists have got planned for us. And this is the problem we have. This is a massive constitutional crisis that is now starting to build. So something's got to give. Now, question, how can you um, affect change to move the country back into the nationalist direction as opposed to this globalist direction? The question I have for you, Gloria, is uh, you were talking about the, the discrepancies in the oath signed by Queen Elizabeth and I guess Charles signed another one on the, uh, well, uh, September, I believe it was, 
Can you speak more to that? Yes. To that, it's just how can you affect change by using that as evidence? Well, shall I go first? Yeah, we, we, all we oh, have to oh, do I mean, I mean, this is, is raise money. All we have to do is raise our numbers. That's all we have to do. We are starting to build the numbers. They'll become a tipping point when the other side. We are the ninety-nine point nine nine percent. All the people, you know, the, the, the people who are running the world mount to no more than eight thousand people, and there's eight billion of us. That's one million for every one of them. So the numbers are on our side. So all we're doing is raising the numbers. Over to you, Gloria. Well, yes, and of course, the coronation is a, a massive event, which is supported by public funds. This isn't a private event. It's supported by British right. taxpayers. And of course, the monarch is also linked to the Commonwealth. I mean, this isn't just um, a figurehead for Britain. It's a figurehead for Canada, Australia, and other parts of the Commonwealth. So what we're doing, and what I've done in the research I've undertaken, is actually put a spotlight on the history of the coronation, what we would expect to find and have found in coronations up till now. And if there is a departure from that tradition, I mean, Britain is a country, goodness, of tradition, if nothing else, <laughs> then, then, as Justin has said, then the alarm bells need to be sounded. And um, so as part of this exploration of the coronation, um, I looked, delved into the past. I found that kings from the time of Edward II all swore to uphold the laws and customs of Britain. That's very important. But common law should still prevail. And then um, I looked in detail and with a degree of enormous fascination at Queen Elizabeth II's coronation. And we can do that together. And I think you've got mm -hmm. some footage there. Uh, what, mm -hmm. what, 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 we, we can sort of, we can assume the role now of Sherlock Holmes or Poirot, depending on which country you want to take your detective from. Because this is this is detective work that we're involved in now. So shall we shall we Incredible. go into detective work now? And we're looking at now the coronation oath of Queen Elizabeth II, who was crowned in June nineteen fifty three. And it's a legal document. What can we what do we find in the legal document that Elizabeth II signed? And I think many of your listeners may be more than a little surprised to see what we found. So I don't know if you want to kick off with the um, coronation oath itself, the, the, the image of it that I said. Uh, go you. for it, Gloria. Tell us all about it. I'm listening. Okay. Well, um, I, I, if you're asked to look into the. Um, History of the Coronation and Queen Elizabeth's Coronation. One of the first things you'll do is look for a copy of Queen Elizabeth's Coronation. Well, that was problem number one. It was scarcely possible, believe it or not, scarcely possible to find a copy. Eventually, I found a rather dilapidated looking copy of Queen Elizabeth II's Coronation as part of an Australian document. That was wow. the only copy until June last year that was to be found. And that copy, which is in the article that you put up on VT, 
um, it's, what should we say, not what you might expect of a coronation oath. I mean, there was some yellow highlighting, and that's simply um, connected to the fact that the document was used in a court case. So you can forget about the yellow highlighting. But aside from the yellow highlighting, many of the things that you would expect to find in any legal document were completely missing. So there was no signature below the text, for example. The only signature that appeared of the Queen was above the text. Whenever have you ever seen anybody sign a legal document above the words of the text rather than give their assent below the text? And actually putting the signature below the text ensures that no additional text can be added because there's a sort of blot on that provided by the signature. So it's that a common was practice in business, of course. Hmm? I was going to say that that's very a very common practice around the world. You sign after the contents. To sign right? you know at the before. foot of the text. Absolutely. So that's the first surprise. Well, the first surprise was having such difficulty tracking it down. <laughs> then having tracked down this very dilapidated uh, copy, it was surprising to find the signature at the top. And moreover, there were no witness signatures and there was no date to the document. And moreover, the document was typed, and it was a very insignificant piece of paper. It looked rather small, and certainly not what you might have imagined a coronation oath would look like. And mm -hmm. we can go further. We can go a lot further. If, if we, uh, when you look at the signature that appears on the top of the text, we can ask many questions about that. And let me just add, I said that until June last year, this scrappy piece of paper was the only one that was available. In, in um, June last year, on the occasion of the Queen's platinum anniversary, because she was still alive then, the um, uh, National Archive in Great Britain uploaded a copy of the Queen's coronation to the National Archive. And well, that looked broadly similar to the other document that had been floating around, but it wasn't completely identical, which was very strange. I mean, there had been ribbons okay. on the, let's call it document number one. Um, there was a squiggly ribbon underneath the Queen's signature, which had miraculously moved to the left of the document and um, wasn't squiggly anymore at all. And then there'd been a bit of ribbon at the bottom of document number one, which was no longer visible in the version uploaded to the National Archive. In fact, one of the members of our team, Adrian Price, pointed this out. It looked as though the, the bottom of the document in the National Archive version of the coronation had been shortened as if to, he suggested, create the impression in the minds of the viewer that there would be no space for a signature version, as it had been shortened. So those mm -hmm. were some of the strange discrepancies between the first and the second version. I mean, in, in all other respects, they were the same. The signature looked the same. The text looked the same. But the ribbons looked different, and the bottom of the document had been shortened 
in the National Archive version. Then if you look at the signature itself of the Queen, well, she um, was provided with a, a pen that was created especially for the occasion by the um, worshipful company of scriveners and notaries. So they'd know a thing or two about writing and creating pens. And um, yet when we look at the signature, it's rather, the ink is rather uneven in the signature. And um, there's an underline which extends only below the first three letters of Queen Elizabeth's signature, the E, L, and the I. Uh, she produces a Z which goes below the length, the, the sort of bottom of the line. So that's a lower, a Z with a lower length. If you could imagine like mm -hmm. a Y or a G has a lower length. And the underline that the Queen um, provides to her signature stops at the lower length of the Z. Almost as if subconsciously that person wants to avoid the obstacle of the lower length of the Z. And mm -hmm. then what else can I say about the um, signature? Well, I think if we look at footage, contemporary footage of her signing the oath, you will see something extraordinary. You will see um, an extraordinary discrepancy between the length of the underline in the document that I've described, well, which you, the underline stops, the as I said, yeah. when it meets the lower length of the Z, whereas in the footage, which I think we're going to show, show us, Johnny, um, the, the underline that she makes very much looks as though there's a long flourish that goes underneath the whole length Look, I was going to ask Justin, how do you think these discrepancies, what, what do you attribute them to? Well, I, myself and uh, other researchers, we're, we're, we're really puzzled about one thing. These are constitutional documents, whether it's the the, the, the coronation oath of the Queen, her father, George VI, uh, his father, George V, and then his father, Edward VII, and then his mother, Queen Victoria. Then we go back to George IV, William IV, uh, George III, George II, and George I. All these kings and queens, you cannot find pictures of their coronation oaths online. Nowhere. I, we've tried. Mm. The only one, as 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 uh, Gloria's alluded to, is this one scruffy one, up until last year, and then a digitalized cleaner version done for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. But you cannot find. You, we do know someone who has actually gone to the Q records, and he's actually seen all these coronation oaths tucked away in a box. I'm sorry. This is these are constitutional. These are major constitutional documents, and we have no access to them unless you go to the Q Records Department. It doesn't make any sense at all. So you've just got to feel that something and moreover, not right. Mm. Something on, not Gloria. right. Yep, I can on. pick up on that, and you asked how to explain this, Johnny. Um, if you compare the signature on these um, coronation notes, copy one and two that I mentioned, 
If you compare the signature of Queen Elizabeth with the signatures that she regularly produced subsequent to the coronation, they look like a completely different handwriting. Yeah, it, 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 it's as extraordinary as that. So um, I said that the underline on these coronation notes stops after the first three letters, as if it was reluctant to pass the lower length of the set. But in all subsequent signatures, what the Queen produced, there's a long flourish showing, showing no such reluctance to interfere with the lower length of Z. For many years, I was very interested in handwriting, the, the subject of handwriting analysis, which is very, um, very um, highly, highly rated in much of continental Europe, in France, Switzerland, Germany, Israel. Um, there were some uh, big companies that regularly employ graphologists to analyze handwriting. And I'm not claiming to be a graphologist, but I studied handwriting for many years. And if somebody seeks to avoid a lower length like the Z, that tells you something about a person's character, right? It's not a minor point. Now, the differences between the two signatures, i.e. those on the coronation oaths and, and the Queen's subsequent signatures, um, go even further. And what Justin is showing us here is a document that the Queen personally signed. And this is my um, you can see the that the, the army. very helpful to see this. You can see the lower length that she has for the Z. You can see the underline unequivocally going through past that Z. And more than that, if you look at the upper lengths, which are the L's and the B and the T and the H, the, the upper parts of the letters, they're all of even height. And this is what I found in all the signatures of the Queen, subsequent to the coronations I've looked at. All the upper lengths are of even height, and she often puts a loop in them, in the L and in the B. But if you look at the coronation oath, mm -hmm. whether it's the one in the National Archive or the rather scrappy one that was doing the rounds, and before that, not only are the upper lengths not even height, but they don't have the loop either. So it wow. looks to me as though it wasn't the same person who signed the coronation oath and who so produced who signed the signature it? of Justin's document. Hmm? It's a different character. Right. So who signed I don't it? know how to explain it. Hmm? I mean, the whole, the bottom line is, this, these are very important coronation, you know, the, the, all these documents, it should be total transparency, total accountability, and we should, as, as the people of this country, should be able to see these documents, both online or, or, or uh, you know, places of somewhere public, not tucked away in a box, or you've got to make a, You've got to make a, um, a visit. You've got to go and uh, book a visit to go and see them, and they'll take them out of the boxes. It, it's it's just it's not what should happen in a common law country, which we are very proud of our common law constitution, uh, and and we're proud of our constitutional monarchy. I just don't understand it. Nobody does. And for seventy years, because it's seventy years since the last time we had a coronation oath, people have forgotten about it. 
And it's only because right. we started asking the right questions uh, about a year ago that we've been doing this research and we've now realized that this, things are not right. And Gloria, shall we touch now on what the king did on September the 10th when he signed the Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, and by the way, all this research has been done in the spirit of critical thinking, which is a, a, a habit of mind which has been celebrated all the way back to Socrates, who died for, <laughs> because he was um, encouraging young people to ask questions, all the way through to Einstein, who said, famously, question everything. And in fact, my most recent book, I can just show this, is, is on this very subject of critical thinking. The, um, it's called Light Bulb Moments and the Power of Critical Thinking. And it's mm -hmm. a celebration of critical thinking, which has been, um, shall we say, discouraged in the times that we live in now. And uh, an OECD report just last year, in August last year, of graduates coming out of university, which was a six-country study, included students, 800,000 uh, students in this sample, or graduates, um, included uh, graduates from the US, the UK, and four other countries. What they found was that only 45% of those graduates had critical thinking skills. Many people would say it's been removed from the syllabus on purpose to stop people asking questions. But we are very proudly um, restoring this tradition. If anybody's interested in this book, by the way, it can be obtained either from Amazon or direct from Truth University Press, who are the publishers of this book, written by myself and Catherine Armitage. And it can be bought from the Truth University email, which is info truthuniversity at protonmail.com. I'll just say that one more time. Info truthuniversity at protonmail.com. So in this proud tradition of critical thinking and questioning everything, as Einstein counseled us to do, um, I went on to look at the proclamation oath that King Charles signed in September last year. And we have footage of that as well. And one of the first things to right. strike one, looking at that, is how different this is from Queen Elizabeth's. Because, well, he signs his documents below the text, and mm -hmm. he has witness signatures, Camilla and Prince William, and the document itself is a magnificent document of enormous dimensions, and the text is written in handwriting, not in some very insignificant type, which is what we found with Queen Elizabeth II. And moreover, uh, some text was formally put out indicating what the text of this oath would be that Charles was signing. And if you look at the sizes of the paragraphs that Charles put his name to, they don't correspond to the printed text that was put out. So I said, we have to question everything. You know, nothing, nothing seems to be simple. And, and this is terribly important because these are constitutional documents. And if, for example, the Queen's coronation oath, which is a legal instrument, is not legal, then it would nullify the validity 
of all statutes following her coronation. And then including the, the ascension of King Charles would be including no void. Would he be the legitimate heir if she were not a legitimate? So I'm just I'm just I'm just working in the tradition of critical thinkers like um, Einstein who said question everything. And I think that's very much your habit, isn't it, Johnny? In Right. Now, now, here we go. Uh, we're going to go forward with the coronation. What, what, what's the date of the coronation again? It may the sixth. May the sixth. No, no. Oh, yeah, and the, the King Charles. One was, oh, King Charles, sixth right. of May, in just a few weeks' time. Okay. Right. Well, on that note, we're going to keep watching it and see what happens. Um, of course, uh, Gloria, you're going to be posting some more articles on VT about this issue. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yes, please. Now, tell us. Tell our listeners. Full range of topics. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, tell tell our 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 listeners how they can support the Hardwick Alliance or how they can support you, Gloria. Uh, Justin, go first and tell us how okay. they can support you. Uh, well, if people just feed into a search engine, Hardwick, H A R D W I C K, Hardwick Alliance for Real Ecology. That will bring it up. Okay, they'll find it immediately. Uh, we we just ask people if they want to give a donation; they'd be more than happy. But most importantly, sign up to the forum, uh, get involved, look at the stuff we put out. Uh, we are a think tank. We're 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 not sort of playing numbers. We don't we need a big membership or anything like that. We really just want people to go on, see the information see the memes we've created and everything else, and then spread the word, spread it to all their friends, work colleagues, right throughout the country. Because what we're doing at Hardwick, which is trying to expose the fake green agenda, expose the Great Reset, expose the work of the globalists and their planned technocracy, it applies to every sovereign nation on Earth. We're all under attack. But the, the, the heart of the beast to a very large extent, we're told this by a lot of researchers, the heart of the beast is the city of London. So, yes, whilst you've got the World Health Organization, United Nations, you've got the you've got the, um, the, the the World Economic Forum in Switzerland, the Bank for International Settlements in Switzerland, yes. But we're often told the beating heart of the globalist, beat, you know, the heartbeat is the city of London. So if we can defeat the city of London and have this country, the sovereign country of makes up the United Kingdom, that's Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, England, etc. If we can get back to being a proper common law country with a proper common law constitution where the people have the absolute right to nullify any bad legislation passed by Parliament, and this is the key, Parliament is not sovereign, we the people are sovereign. And Charles, King Charles III, is supposed to be the first sovereign amongst equals. And if he can't perform that task, then he has to go. And I'm not going to mince my words here. We cannot have a king supporting the globalists. We have to have a king supporting the sovereign people of our country. And if he's not up to the task, and if he refuses to retract his involvement with the Great Reset and the World Economic Forum, etc., then I'm going to put it bluntly, the people will say he has to go. So it's as simple as that. Fair enough. Now, Gloria, how can uh, VT listeners around the world support what you're doing, support your work? Well, I'm um, 
one of uh, a group of people are getting a new university off the ground called Truth University, because this is another interest I've spent a lot of my life in the academic system, the mainstream academic system, and rose to the giddy heights of professor. And um, Truth University is there to be the home of critical thinking, which many universities today are no longer doing. They're not homes to critical thinking. Many universities today are homes to the globalists and the World Economic Forum. So one of um, one of the jobs of Truth University, not only do we offer research degrees at undergraduate and master's level, but we also have a publishing arm, which is Truth University Press. And these are two recent books. I showed you this one on light bulb moments and the power of critical thinking. And this is the way that the world can, we, this is the way that we can restore sanity to the world. It is through the use of critical thinking, uh, which has been very neglected in schools and universities. And this is another title that we published, which is, um, it's got a rather forbidding title, a forbidding title of The Dark Side of Academia, how truth mm -hmm. is suppressed. And I would say that's, that's written by the secret professor. Uh, and it's not an exaggeration reading that text to say that the truth is being suppressed. If I just quote one tiny paragraph from the book, mm -hmm. um, it quotes uh, an article by two professors. One was a professor of Queensland University and the other, a very senior professor, pro-vice-chancellor at Oxford University, which has topped the league table of universities for many years now, Oxford University. And the article that I'm going to quote from, written by these two professors, appeared on the World Economic Forum website in 2020, so very recently. And what they were saying, these two professors, is, and I'm quoting verbatim at this point, is that through their engagement, teaching and research, through their teaching and research, universities must redouble their efforts to work alongside corporations, governments, and NGOs as they search for new business models and policies to assist the Great Reset. So what these two professors are saying is that the function of universities now is nothing more nor less than to assist the WEF project of the Great Reset, the Fourth Industrial Review. Now, that doesn't chime easily with many people's concept of what a university is there for, which is to undertake groundbreaking, objective, evidence-based research. And so, for as long as universities are, are towing that line, and there are a whole group of American universities who are part of a special grouping of WEF universities, just as there are British universities, for as long as that's happening, we need a beacon of light where we can still have evidence-based objective research undertaken. So, there is a project uh, to, to, to well underway um, to... Um, 
sustain Truth University. And if anybody's interested in offering their support, either as teachers or as potential students or, or potentially as, as, as donors, funders, then please do contact us. We'd love to hear from you. And it's the same, it's the same email address that I quoted earlier, which is, just repeat it one more time, info truth university at protonmail.com. Absolutely fantastic. Okay, well, I wanted to thank both of you for appearing on VT Radio and sharing us your expertise on this issue and educating our viewers around the world because um, this stuff was hidden from us. And now that we know about it, we can uh, start talking about it and see if we can get a, a more people involved in, in awareness on this issue. So I want to thank both of you. Fabulous show today. Um, thank you, Johnny. Keep supporting VT, everybody out there. If you guys like truth stuff, please support us uh, at buymeacoffee.com. It's uh, on our website, of course. Uh, you know, Donate $5, whatever you guys can. Become a member of VT. Help us out because, as you know, the corporatocracy that Justin was talking about and Gloria was talking about, you know, they don't support us either. I mean, they, they ban us from advertising. The Global Disinformation Index has us on a, a blacklist. I mean, you can't talk about truth and get paid. So... Um, if you guys got it out there to supporting us, we'd appreciate it. We're not mainstream media. We're VT Radio, and we're out. Peace. If you enjoyed this presentation, hit the like button now. Also, share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. VT approves this message.